You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Before we start, I want to thank all of the We Are Libertarians patrons for being a part of the show. You can find out all of the benefits of subscribing on Patreon at joinwallplus.com. That's W-A-L-plus.com. You'll get bonus content, access to the complete archives. There's over a thousand shows that you can't get in the public feed, and you'll be supporting all of our great shows. Thank you especially to our $100 a month members, John Pusilo, Vincent Peichel, Lars Nordskog, Jake Edel, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. We also want to thank our main sponsor for this episode. Uh, it is Iconic Insurance. 15% of Americans are left to find health insurance on their own. And even if you get health insurance from your employer that doesn't work for you, Matt Allen and Iconic Insurance can help you find the right insurance. Just head over right now and contact him at iconic-insurance.com slash libertarians. We'll put the link in the description if you can't remember that. But Matt is a longtime listener of this program and a great guy and a good friend of mine. So please go support him and reach out right now. Thank you. And now let's get started with our show. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. It is so great to be here with you today. I am not really excited to talk about our subject today, but I think it's something that we're going to be talking a lot about moving forward as a country. Uh, the CDC came out today, uh, or recently, excuse me, and said that 107,000 Americans have died from drug overdoses in 2021. I remember just two or three years ago, it was significant when it was over 72,000 when we all said, oh, wow, that's as many as Vietnam. Maybe there's a problem here. And for the first time, the life expectancy, well, not for the first time, but the second year in a row, life expectancy has greatly dropped. And this is especially an issue, and overdoses are especially an issue, uh, in communities of color and teens. So there was, gosh, the overdose deaths among teens have doubled in the past three years. And a lot of this is due to fentanyl. And there's a great book I'm reading called Fentanyl, Inc. My guest today has also read it. And we're going to talk a little bit about fentanyl. What is it? And how can we uh, curb a lot of this? We've got some suggestions from Donald Trump that we'll discuss, which I think are terrible. Today, my guest is Finesse Moreno-Rivera. She is an expert in criminal justice reform and research analysis. Moreno-Rivera has worked with federal and state institutions such as the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department and the FBI. She is a Young Voices contributor. Thank you so much for joining with me uh, to talk about this today, even though it's uh, kind of a terrible subject. Thank you for having me, Chris. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what is a criminal justice reform expert do? You know, how did you come about this and why are you interested in it? Thank you for asking. Um, coming from a background as a woman of color, as well as being Hispanic, I think it's very important to be a voice for my community and discuss the issues that I've seen that are ongoing. Just really standing up and wanting change for our citizens within America, but then more so those groups that are marginalized. Yeah, so you wrote an article and you came across my desk uh, in a magazine called Blavity, and you wrote, Black American casualties are the highest in this country's war on drugs. Can you tell us a little bit about the article? You know, what are some of the reasons, first, how bad is the impact uh, on colors of communities, specifically the black community? And what are some of the ways that that ended up happening? 
Sure. So as we know, this year marks the 50th anniversary of Nixon's war on drugs. Unfortunately, when that was passed, it was passed given that whenever we were having our trips coming back from Vietnam, but there were definitely some racial bias undertones with the passing of a lot of the legislation with the war on drugs. Unfortunately, we were already looking at addicts or those who have problems with drugs as, um, I guess, a stain on our society. And they were treated with punishment rather than treatment, unfortunately. And this, what this did was have an uptick on our mass incarceration. So it increased our mass incarceration at the end of the day for a lot of nonviolent offenders, those primarily being African-Americans. Yeah, I mean, the war on drugs has specifically hit black communities so hard. Uh, and the... This has kind of continued, like the the sentencing, I, I know in your article you talk about Donald Trump and fentanyl sentencing, increasing that um, for street level dealers and users, and it's some of the same mindset that, uh, you know, in that book Fentanyl Inc., Obama passed uh, something that strengthened penalties for opioid uses, and Clinton and Reagan and so on and so forth. They all seem to strengthen penalties, add more jail time. Can you talk about why that isn't the right approach? Why that ends up harming uh, just regular people? Of course. What happens is we're not really getting to the root cause. We're not really taking care of the problem. Individuals are going into jails and prisons. Obviously, they're getting help while they're there or not even obviously. Sometimes they're not getting enough treatment as it is. They come out and they're going back to that same routine, the same environment, and also potentially the same individual who surround them that can support their habit or also give them opportunities to be a part of the distribution chain when it comes to dealing with drugs. Yeah, that's really a kind of a fundamental premise of the recidivism issue is that I work with this charity called Rupert's Kids where guys get out of, they end up going to prison, you know, usually as juveniles, and then they go spend time around better criminals who teach them new methods, and then they get sent home, they can't afford a lot of the court costs, uh, and when they're in prison, they get hooked on drugs because there's so many drugs in prison. Um, what what are some ways to alleviate that cycle? How can we start to break that cycle down so people aren't you know, caught in that cycle starting from age 10, 11, 13, and then end up, you know, right back where they're at later on in life? You know, I think that a lot of this goes back to the community and having the services and treatments that are needed. What we know from the research, especially with marginalized um, groups, specifically African-Americans, we're very close to um, the drug product itself, whether that's due to being a dealer or also knowing a dealer, being within the home itself. So what this does is this puts us at more risk of having a drug overdose and also being exposed to drugs that have been laced or something that we don't know what could possibly be mixed with them. But that being said, African-Americans and other marginalized groups fall within middle class to the poverty line. And what we're seeing is that they are not able to seek the treatment that they need given their socio socioeconomic status. 
And so what's really important is that we're going out to our communities and we are making sure that they're having everything that they need and knowing that they can reach out for treatment as well, if needed. Yeah, it really seems like it starts with a mindset shift. Uh, I think we're at a Absolutely. point where we have two two paths to choose. Donald Trump is seemingly going to run for president again, and I think his central message is going to be execute drug dealers. And I think it's a message that Rodrigo Duarte in the Philippines, I know it's what he used essentially to take power in the Philippines. Um, and within the first year, 10,000 people died. And I think there's a large segment of the United States population that's going to go, yeah, they killed my son, they killed my grandson, they killed my daughter, they killed my mom. Like, we need to get drug dealers. Uh, and that is, I think, fundamentally different than what you're talking about, which is the choice that libertarians uh, and people like myself, and it sounds like yourself, um, uh, I'm not going to presume you're a libertarian. I'm saying I'm a libertarian. Um, uh, let's actually have some empathy. <laughs> let's treat them like people who are struggling, yes. and not all drug dealers are evil. Some of them are just caught in a, in a dangerous cycle. Yes, that's correct. And a lot of a lot of times what you're seeing, when people think of a drug dealer, they're thinking of an individual who's on the side of the street, who's just making ends meet to try to feed their family or themselves. Um, so I, I really want to challenge listeners and everyone else to think when you're thinking of a drug dealer, please, please keep in mind that these are the individuals who are, who are at the end of the distribution chain. They're not the people who are out here manufacturing it, making it, who have the mansions, who have billions of dollars, who are really in control of such as the traffickers are in control of the substances and making them more available across the United States and across the world. When we're thinking drug dealers. We're primarily thinking about the people, like I said, on the street. And that's not the case. What we need to be focused on are the manufacturers of these drugs and the higher level criminals who are making these drugs available to our civilians. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Like I love the wire, but I recently started to rewatch the wire and I'm like, you know, this just sort of culturally reinforces a certain way that I think about drug dealers. Um, and yeah, it's telling true stories, but it also like a drug dealers. Also a lot of the kids I went to high school with in Plainfield, Indiana, right? Like, um, and a lot of, the people that are doing the most damage are the Chinese government, Chinese factories, Mexican drug cartels, which kind of leads us to fentanyl. Um, well, one more question on that. What what have some of these other countries, like I mentioned the Philippines, but China, Russia, you know, other strongman-minded countries, what directions have they chosen to take in dealing with drug dealers? It's very, very similar to the Philippines, although they have not um, killed as many people due to drug possession or drug use. For them, a lot of it is directly having a guilty plea and being sentenced to death. I know for Russia, they do a lot of shaming. They do a lot of embarrassment for those who are addicted, as well as um, their families. So this could definitely tear someone apart. Um, in addition, this is just for example, Thailand was also at the top of the country who also imposed a death penalty on individuals who were in possession of drugs or using them. And they recently just legalized marijuana. 
which I found to be very interesting. So what you're trying, what you're starting to see are a few other countries, you know, lessening that grip on drugs and possibly just having a more open mind when it comes to individuals and understanding, you know, that they're people and people make mistakes and just having more empathy, you know, for, for the people of your country. I read an article called uh, How to Win a War on Drugs by Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times years ago, and it stuck with me to the point that I remember the author and the title of an article that I read. Uh, and it was about Portugal, which you reference in your article and how they've taken a different tack. Can you expand on how other countries and their drug policies have, have dealt with drugs in a more positive way, as opposed to, you know, judicial extrajudicial ex- <laughs> extra killings? <laughs> Absolutely. So we all know Portugal was the first country to pass, um, to make it legal for illicit substances to be used and bought. We know that, you know, Amsterdam is also up there. Um, And we even have an example here in the United States with Oregon in 2020, which passed legislation allowing for small amounts of illicit substances to be used. And as of now, I know it's 2022. However, there's research looking into how Oregon's legislation has changed their landscape when it comes to nonviolent offenders and how they are working with individuals who may have addiction um, and those who who don't, who may just be using them, you know, for personal reasons but aren't addicted. So it's going to be really interesting once we see that research come out to see how Oregon has benefited or not from legalizing illicit substances. So let's talk about fentanyl, because I had never really heard of fentanyl until the last year or two. Uh, and it's because I've had people in my life losing their children or losing their family members to fentanyl. Uh, and it sort of started to pop up in the news, and you, you start to hear politicians talking about it a little bit more. And I think it's about to be a main topic of conversation. I'm, I'm also watching Dope Sick on Hulu, uh, which you, you said you've seen about Man, if that doesn't make you mad about Oxycontin and the way that 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 all developed, uh, this seems to be so much more industrialized than even that. Um, Talk about fentanyl. What is fentanyl? Why is it killing so many more people? Uh, And then we'll talk about what we can do about it. But let's start there. What is fentanyl and what makes it so dangerous? Sure. So fentanyl is a man-made substance that is, I want to say, a hundred times stronger than what you would think heroin would be. So with the opioid crisis, you have to understand, yes, anyone who's seen Dope Sick, if you haven't, please, please, please go on Hulu and watch it. Um, The opioid epidemic actually has three different waves. The first wave is with the Sacklers, with the, um, the pills unfortunately, with the prescription pills. The second wave, because individuals were unable to get the pills anymore because, you know, it really got the attention of law enforcement that it was cheaper to switch to heroin. That was the second wave of the opioid epidemic that we saw. Now, the third wave that we're starting to see is fentanyl. And that's because of supply and demand, as well as the ease of getting it in the beginning. So with fentanyl, we were, the United States was actually getting it. The manufacturers were getting it from China. The Trump administration actually did a great job with speaking with China, trying to figure out how we can stop the manufacturing of fentanyl and then also buying the products from China to be delivered to the U.S. 
Now, although China has agreed to doing so, it has said that they have done everything that they possibly can. We now know that they are working with the Mexican cartel in order to make fentanyl more widely available in the U.S. And in addition, anyone can get online on a lab. Actually, I even did it looking on Facebook to look up labs that can actually send you personally FedEx, UPS, a package that gives you precursors to making fentanyl. The issue with this is that now that fentanyl is pretty much ravaging individuals here in the U.S., it's due to the fact that it's being combined with other substances. Now, Trump, as you had already mentioned, he had classified fentanyl as a Schedule One component. And then Biden quietly extended this within the years of 2021 and 2022. Now, here's the problem with that. With scheduling drugs, Schedule One means that it has a higher a higher likelihood of being abused, but then also it's saying that it has no therapeutic use whatsoever. So then that prevents the scientists and other individuals from being able to actually study the chemical component of it and all, and how it could be utilized for individuals who are in severe pain, such as going through cancer treatment, which it has been used in the past. The issue with fentanyl being scheduled as a Schedule 1, along with marijuana, along with heroin, is that because it has no appear therapeutic use, this means that scientists can't even figure out if they can be useful, such as Narcan, in preventing overdoses. And actually, within the FDA, has already tested a handful of these um, fentanyl-related substances chemicals and found that one acts as Narcan, which blocks the opioid receptors and prevents an overdose. Also, with that being said, with it being a Schedule One, what we're seeing is because many times African-Americans, again, are at the end of that distribution chain. They're the ones that are more likely getting arrested with fentanyl substances and will be charged as such, whether they know if they're, the drug that they're selling has it or not, they will still be charged. And so what we're seeing, once again, is a repeat of the crack epidemic, where we're seeing more African-Americans going to jail, more African-Americans, especially males now, surpassing white and surpassing Alaskan and Native American individuals in overdoses. So we have, you know, a double hitter here. We have those who are losing their lives, and we have those who are now going back to jail for a product that they're just selling and have no idea if it has fentanyl or not. So it's really important for administrations now or administration now administrations to come to really look at these substances because what happens is they're becoming more dangerous, more easily accessible, and they can eventually kill someone. And when I say more dangerous, you know, for example, we now have Benzo Dope out on the streets and was found in Illinois um, as of June of this year. And unfortunately, Benzo Dope does not react to Narcan. So that individual can still die because Narcan isn't going to affect them. But because fentanyl one, or excuse me, fentanyl is that scheduled as class one, we don't know if one of those substances could actually end up saving someone's life. It can be Narcan, the next Narcan. Um, so it's really, really unfortunate what we're seeing with the scheduling of fentanyl and how we're actually taking, you know, two steps back, but then sometimes one step forward when it comes to harm reduction practices.
Yeah, that's the the problem with fentanyl is, you know, it's chemically made. You don't need to grow poppies. So you limit your exposure as a cartel or, you know, China is giving tax breaks to companies that sell fentanyl. Um, I I think you make a really good point that I I did not uh, think about. You, you can't even research. That's something that I agreed with Hillary Clinton on in 2016 when she said reduce the scheduling of marijuana so you can start to study marijuana and its effects. And I think we've seen the blossoming of like the, uh, you know, the, the mushrooms and, and uh, LSD and some of, some of the psychedelics and the, their uses. That's how they were created, right? They were created to be therapeutic drugs. And then once we made them illegal, they started killing people. Uh, and then now that they're kind of being controlled substances again and being used for therapeutic uses, they're less dangerous. You'd think Joe Biden, who just talks about how much work he's done on trying to understand the problems of his past, you know, 80s Joe Biden, problematic in so many ways. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to see him sort of make that same mistake. Like, I expect Trump to be a dirtbag, right? But Joe Biden promised to be different, right? I don't know why I expected him to treat drugs differently than he did in the 1980s, but it sounds like you're saying he's just doing the same things that he did with the crack epidemic. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what he's doing. As we all know, he was the one who drafted um, the, the legislation for the disparity between crack cocaine and crack. Um, and although that he's trying to do the right thing by passing the Equal Act, you know, the Equal Act, which would end the disparity between crack cocaine and cocaine itself, passed the House in September of 2021. We're now a year ahead and we haven't heard a peep about it and it hasn't even touched the Senate. So, again, Biden is once again making the same mistake that he's made before. And it's actually rather surprising, given the fact that He has been passing quite a bit of legislation when it comes to harm reduction and looking at treatment rather than punishment when it comes to drug addiction. So you have three proposals. Uh, We've got about five minutes left here, and I I probably should have spent more time on the solutions than complaining, but that's what we do here on the Chris Spangle (laughs) Show. Uh, Welcome, Finesse. Um, Tell us a little bit about the three, three solutions that you think could be a positive step in the right direction. Sure. So I strongly believe in having um, what they would say uh, safe spaces for individuals who are using and um, having nurses there, having needle exchanges. These are very, very important when you're trying to curb drug addiction, but then also curb other other issues such as illnesses and diseases that are shared between individuals who are sharing needles. Also, I cannot, cannot stress enough about making Narcan widely acceptable. Um, as of right now, these test kits can be over $100, even if you want to purchase one for yourself. So I think that they should be widely available to the public, as well as those individuals, especially who are drug users. This also goes in line with my belief that we should make fentanyl tests absolutely 100% legal. Um, what we're seeing, and there's been research done that 86% of drug addicts would actually prefer to have drug test kits in order to test to see if the substance had fentanyl or not. But again, we're having pushbacks from a lot of the states saying that this is actually condoning drug use. Um, and even with a lot of music festivals, I know Bonnaroo was earlier this year, they were not allowed to have Narcan on site. As we know, overdoses are highest among 18 to 24 year olds for black users, but then 18 to 54 overall. 
uh, for the American society. So it really is a shame that we are allowing these individuals just to perish and not giving them the tools that they need if they're going to use. As I like to say, you have to meet that person where they are, right? You really do need to meet, have empathy, just meet them halfway. And, you know, Chris, the third thing that we already talked about was just legalizing it. Um, if not all of it, at least just small amounts of it, you know, at this time. But then also just making sure that we have a strong hold on research and keeping up with all these different new, harder, more advanced drugs that are coming out. Because I guarantee that we're, we can see it now. We're living it. We're phasing out of those natural drugs that you used to see with poppy seeds and marijuana. And we are definitely going into the fast track of man-made substances, which are even more dangerous. Yeah, because you can change one chemical and it's still fentanyl, but it's it's different and legally available, right? This is, you, you can get you can get marijuana shipped to you here in Indiana, even though it's legally, they just changed one chemical on the THC branch that I don't, I don't understand chemistry. I didn't do well in science and math in school. I'm a liberal arts guy. Um, but I think you raise a great point. Research can keep up. Laws can't. And research can be used to kind of combat some of this stuff. Uh, all right. Finesse, you, you've been a fantastic interview. You've given, given us a lot of great insight. Where can people follow you at Shameless Self-Promotion Time? Absolutely. You can find me on LinkedIn. I regularly post my content there. And then if you're interested in more, feel free to contact Young Voices. All right. Fantastic. Finesse Morena Rivera, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Chris. And listener, thank you for joining us. If you got something out of this episode, as always, please share it. It really means the world, and I know Finesse appreciates it as much as I do, and help uh, change some people's minds. So thank you for listening, and we will see you again soon. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.